Thank you, worship team, and Mickey, thank you for being up here today. Yay. First time, right? Good morning, Valley Bible Church. Good to see you. And you see we have uh, increased capacity. Again, we urge your uh, attendance to the uh, ushers' instructions, please. Uh, we've had we've been at this almost six months. We've not had one uh, transmission uh, in from our services. People have gotten sick, <laughs> and uh, but nothing from our services. So we we don't want to test the Lord in that at all. Uh, would you pray with me, please? Father, we glory in our Redeemer, the Good Shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down His life on behalf of us, His sheep. Thank you, Father, that you sought us out of this dark world and you purchased us from amongst every tribe and nation and people and tongue. One day we will all together stand with you in that glorious place before your face and we will worship the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world on our behalf. We ask God that as we turn to look this morning at the ministry of the Good Shepherd And his great love for us, that you would help us, Father God, to understand your word. You would help us to live it. And you would help us, Father, to glory in our Savior. We turn to that now and pray the ministry of your great and mighty and good spirit. May he lead us now. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of John. John chapter 10, we're going to read this morning verses 11 through 21, uh, further talking about um, Jesus as a shepherd. So John chapter 10, verses 11 through 21, please would you stand with me as we read God's word. Uh, John chapter 10, this is our practice here because uh, the Apostle Paul told us to give attention to the reading of the scriptures when the nation of Israel came back. Uh, into the land after being uh, exiled. And uh, Ezra and others read the the law. The people stood up out of respect. So John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, the word of God. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I have received from my father. A division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? And God's people said, thank you. Would you be seated, please? When I was looking at coming to Valley Bible Church, Um, uh, over 15 years ago uh, in that candidating process, one of the trips that I came up, we were meeting in people's homes and people were asking me questions. And um, one young man by the name of uh, Ed Matfeld, he was young then. Actually, he's always been, never mind. (laughs) But he asked me, um, what has been your biggest disappointment in ministry? And I immediately answered this, people who walk away. Then my biggest biggest heartache, uh, a shepherd is grieved, the shepherd 
The good shepherd is grieved when his sheep walk away. And I was, over many years, I have been grieved when uh, sheep walk away. And um, sometimes people walk away from the church. They just go to another church and they just disappear. Sometimes people who have been very involved in church and and even leaders in the church, highly thought of, walk away from the faith. That's grieving to me as a shepherd. How much more does it grieve the good shepherd? And that's what we're going to look at this morning is uh, Jesus as the good shepherd. Um, Having spoken of the door last week, and, and Caleb did a great job of handling that text for us, In those uh, first ten chapters, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the the way to salvation. He is the entryway into the fold. And those who come in through the door, through Christ, they have salvation. They're saved. But now he's going to change his metaphor, and he's going to say, I am a shepherd. Um, These are two of the seven I am statements. The seven I am statements uh, are these. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way and the truth and the life, I am the true vine. Uh, Numbers 3 and 4 there are, I am the door of the sheep, he said it twice in verses 7 and 9. And our text this morning, he says it twice in verses 11 and 14, I am the good shepherd. Each of these are figures of speech. Most of them are because Jesus isn't really a shepherd. Now, is he? He was a carpenter. And he isn't really a a vine. And he isn't uh, really a a loaf of bread. All of these are figures of speech to demonstrate something about the nature of our Messiah. Now, in this passage, uh, there's no call to action on our part. Instead, Jesus is feeding us as his sheep with the knowledge of, of who he is and, and what he's like. And so we can, uh, we can draw application from this for uh, particularly our elders and others who are, are pastors or are listening to this or watching this who are pastors or someone who wants to be a, a shepherd or a pastor, um, and for sheep as well. How can we be good sheep? And these are the things that we will learn. So first of all, in verses 11 through 13, we will see this. Our shepherd protects his beloved sheep. Our shepherd protects his beloved sheep. He has a uh, a vested interest in those who belong to him, that is you, if you are a Christian, and he protects us. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am a good shepherd. Uh, This is a, a figure that is found throughout the scriptures of God's leaders being shepherds. But he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. He's going to say this five times in this passage, in verses 11 through 21. So whenever you're doing Bible study, when you see something repeated, that's that's what this is about. That's what Jesus is saying in verses 11 through 21. He is a shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. He will lay down his life. He will die on behalf of, in the place of, to redeem his life own, those who belong to him. He will bring this flock together, those who will believe in him. This is the mission of Jesus. That's why he was sent. We've seen this over and over and over again. This is the one who sent him. The father has given him a specific mission, and that mission is to lay down his life for the sheep. Now, he's going to speak in an extended metaphor. We call it a parable. And they may not exactly understand all that it means at this time, but that's what he's going to say. Five times I lay down my life. Jesus will complete the work of redemption that was given to him by the Father. In obedience to that mission, he will lovingly and willingly, sacrificially lay down his life and die and rise again to redeem us, to bring us all together. Now, a parable is... The word parable is really a, a, a transliteration of the Greek word parabolos, parable. It, it is two things that are compared to one another. It is an extended metaphor. It's a, an extended illustration. So these two things are compared to one another, and there's a, a meaning that is underneath that's in a poetic, in a figurative way 
seeks to bring out this idea of what, uh, what he is saying. And so this parable, these things that are placed side by side, Jesus is a shepherd, we are the sheep. A shepherd lays down his life, Jesus lays down his life. And so this parable continues, and as, as Caleb, Caleb pointed out last week, we cannot press these parables, the, the details of the parables too closely, and these people didn't even understand what the figure of speech was that he was talking about. But he calls himself a good shepherd. This is not the word good that I would have uh, expected. There are a couple of different kinds of, uh, a couple of words in the original for good. For instance, when the man came to Jesus and said, good teacher, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, no one is good but God. And the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's not this word in either case. That word indicates uh, moral goodness and holiness and righteousness and those uh, uh, moral, in a moral sense. Excuse me. In this sense, um, good means nobility or worthiness. He's a worthy shepherd in that he is excellent at what he does. He's a good shepherd, like we say, he's a good, he was a good carpenter. He was good at what he does. He was excellent at it, as opposed to someone who is not. And in this case, he is the ideal shepherd who does everything well. He does it. His, his shepherding uh, prowess and his skill and his craft are the best that can be. He is the good, par excellence, shepherd. Um, the uh, parallel that's going to be drawn for us, as I said earlier on, is, is under shepherds pastors who are shepherds and if we are to be shepherds as he is called to be a shepherd we would have the same goal we would have the same motivation and we have the same authority so the good shepherd lays down his sheep so looking at the parable you got the a shepherd and not jesus laying down his life how in what sense does a shepherd lay down his life now a shepherd wouldn't seek to die for his sheep because why would he do that then who would be the shepherd of the sheep? There would be no shepherd. He would leave the, leave the flock shepherdless. But the idea is that a shepherd will sacrifice on behalf of his sheep. Um, yes, he might put his life at risk, and he might put his life in danger for the sake of his sheep, and we'll see why in a moment. But he most likely would not give himself literally um, Jesus will. That's where the, the parable may break down a little bit. But when Jesus lays down his life, and he's going to repeat it in verse 15, in verse 17, two times in verse 18, and then in verse 15, verse 13, he is going to say, no greater love than one lays down his life for his friend. So it is important for us, a concept, to understand that Jesus voluntarily lays down his life but there's another person in John who uses this term, laid down my life, Peter. In just a couple of short chapters, Peter is going to say to Jesus, when Jesus says, I'm going away, I'm going to die, all of these things, Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, right. Before the cock crows three times, Peter, you're going to deny me. No, I'll lay down, I'll die for you. And he doesn't. He denies the Lord. And then the Lord, after his resurrection, remember when they're in Galilee and they, they come together and Jesus has a little tete-a-tete with Peter and he's, he's bringing some healing to him because he must have felt so badly about uh, denying the Lord. And in chapter 30, uh, 21, verses 15 through 17, we read this. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus is handing over, delegating to Peter the responsibility to shepherd the flock of God. 
He is the good shepherd, but he's setting up now his under shepherds. The word shepherd is the word pastor. In fact, the only place that we see the word pastor in the New Testament is in Ephesians 4. God gave pastors and teachers, pastor teachers, to the church. The word pastor means to shepherd. And there's some who are pastors, who are teachers, and their responsibility is to lead the flock to be under shepherds. And Jesus was giving Peter that responsibility. Decades later, after Pentecost, after the church had been established and churches were planted uh, throughout, uh, uh, throughout uh, um, the Holy Land, in 1 Peter 5, Peter says this to other under-shepherds. He says, I therefore exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. I was there, I saw him, I saw his transfiguration. And he says this to us. Our elders, me as a shepherd, any of you who are shepherds out there who are listening and watching, he says this, shepherd, pastor, the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. And he goes on, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And then he says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's a responsibility that we bear. The elders of your church, we who are pastors, those of you who aspire to be elders or pastors or going into ministry, that we will appear before the chief shepherd and he will see, how did you do at leading my flock? And Jesus is, is, is laying that responsibility on, on those who come after him. So what he does next in verses 12 and 13 is he contrasts his character as a good shepherd to those who are not so good. In fact, they're not shepherds at all. In verses 12 and 13, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, you get it, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees, runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Why does he flee? He tells us he flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. has no concern, no vested interest. He's a hired hand. He's hired to do a job. He gets paid for it. There's nothing wrong with that. He's not a shepherd. Some are shepherds. Some are not. This one is not a shepherd. He's a hired hand. He doesn't own the sheep. Who does own the sheep? Jesus owns the sheep. He purchased us with his own blood. And the sheep owner, the shepherd, owns the sheep. So he sees the wolf coming, and wolves are natural predators of sheep. You've all seen the... Uh, uh, National Geographic or the nature videos of lions in Africa, you know, running down uh, a herd of antelope and they get one off to the side and, and then they just, then they sit down and have lunch together, right? It's savage. They kill them and eat them. Or in Alaska, the wolves chasing down the musk oxen or whatever it is and they separate someone from the herd and they pounce on them and savagely, they don't always show that on, on the video, but that's exactly what happens. Why? We live in a fallen world. One day, Isaiah tells us, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. But that's not yet. Until that time, it's dog-eat-dog -dog world, or dog-eat-lamb world. So that's what, but that's what's going to happen. So the hired hand, who's not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, runs away. Why? He's afraid for his own welfare. He's concerned about himself. He is not concerned about the sheep. And he runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. First Peter 5, right after what we read a minute ago, that Peter said to, the, to us fellow elders, it says this, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's ruthless. He's seeking Christians to devour and scatter and separate from the flock. And once the wolf hunts down the prey and they're in their clutches, it's done. 
It's over with. But you see, on the other side, people, the other side of the parable, people are spiritually damaged when they stray from the flock. People are spiritually damaged when they're not fed, when they're not properly shepherded, when they are not protected from the enemy. People are spiritually damaged. But the good shepherd is good. To, to compare him against the hireling or the hired hand, he's a, he is good. He is a true shepherd. He is a shepherd. He is the owner of the sheep by way of redemption. He owns us. He purchased us. That ownership concept is one to, to, be, to think about. Uh, you know what the pride of ownership is. If someone owns something, they're probably more likely to, to take care of it. I've known many business owners over the years who, who take pride in their business. It is, yes, it's hard work, and they got into it to make a living, but it becomes their baby. It's their vision for life, and, and they get satisfaction out of it, and they love doing it, and, and it's... it's uh, uh, they, they invest energy and time into it. And then they, they hire people who don't get the vision, right? They don't have ownership. And they don't respond. Maybe they're not uh, uh, great employees, even though uh, oftentimes the business owners I'm talking about take care of their employees and see them as family. But oftentimes they're not interested in the business. They're just interested in getting a paycheck. It's going to happen in ministry, too. You know that I had a parallel um, career as a Navy chaplain, and I met a lot of chaplains and a lot of good chaplains, and some of the good chaplains that I met, they were good administrators, they were good naval officers, they were good at the military thing, but they weren't shepherds. They weren't shepherds. They weren't gifted. They didn't have a heart there. It was a career. It was a military career. It wasn't a calling. And that can happen in ministry in the church as well. There, there are sometimes are shepherds or pastors, quote-unquote, that it is a career. And they're not shepherds. Maybe they're good administrators. Maybe they're even good speakers. But are they shepherds? Do they have the heart of a shepherd to lead the flock and to love the flock and to protect the flock? That happens even in ministry. We're talking about a stewardship that we take upon ourselves that I would not have taken on my own, believe me. I would not have chosen this. Acts 20, 28 says this. Paul, taking the, the elders from Ephesians, he met them in Miletus. He was on his way back to, uh, back to Jerusalem and would never see them again. And he says to the, this group of elders, be on guard. Notice the, the language of, of shepherding. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I did not make myself a pastor. The elders did not make themselves elders. This is the work of God who places us in this position. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to do what? To shepherd, to pastor the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Gulp. It's his church. It's not my church. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Be on guard for yourselves and the entire flock. That is the responsibility given to shepherds under shepherds. The hired hand is not like that. He's not courageous. He's not a protector. He's not a defender. He doesn't stay with the sheep. His ultimate concern is himself. But Jesus is the opposite of that. Here are a couple of lessons. Three is more than a couple. A few. First, sheep are prone to wander, and the shepherd grieves. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, but we're still prone to wander. We still have the gravity of sin pulling us away, pulling us downward, pulling us away from each other, from fellowship, from worship, from being together. And when that happens, when you walk away, you lose perception. You lose your spiritual perception. You don't think clearly. And your heart grows cold. 
and your eyes become used to the darkness. Don't wander. Don't wander. Jesus said in Matthew 6, when he saw a large crowd, he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. I remember the first few weeks, maybe even months, that I was here at Valley Bible Church because Valley Bible Church had gone through a very, very difficult time. And standing here preaching and looking at faces, was everybody was shell-shocked. They needed shepherding. They needed to be gathered together once again because it was a scattering of the sheep. And that happens, and shepherd's responsibility is to pull everybody back to underneath the one shepherd, the good shepherd. We always point to him. Sheep wander, and it grieves the heart to do so. You know, I'll tell you something. Um, When a pastor leaves a church every 10, 15, 20, sometimes 40 years, sometimes pastors stay a long time. But when a a beloved pastor leaves a church, the church grieves, right? I can tell you this, that every time someone leaves the church, the pastor grieves in the same way. The same grief a congregation endures every 10, 15 years or more, we pastors endure multiple times a year when people just walk away. If we don't grieve, then our hearts are hard, that's for sure. And we seek to pull ourselves together. Second of all, the good shepherd seeks to gather his sheep. Our enemy seeks to scatter the sheep. Anything that scatters the sheep is not of God. It might be Satan. It might be the world. It might be the coronavirus. I think the coronavirus has scattered the sheep in America. We are scattered. We are not gathered as we are supposed to be. It's probably going to get even worse in many, many ways. It is not of God. Believe me. I've said it from the beginning. This thing is evil. But the good shepherd seeks to pull us together, to bring us together, because that is where sheep are supposed to be, together not scattered. And third, the good shepherd will go after his sheep to protect, to correct, and to enfold, or perhaps re-enfold. If you are truly his sheep, and you walk away and your heart becomes cold and you forsake your assembling and you start to just, it's not important anymore. If you are truly his He's going to come after you. I pray that he does. If you are in sin and walking away, I pray he will come after you and he will will seek you out and he will correct you if necessary because that's the loving thing to do because that's what a father does to his son. And his his desire is to enfold you or to re-enfold you back into the flock and that's what our good shepherd does. And he will do that for us as well. But we should not wander to begin with. So our shepherd protects his beloved sheep. He cares about them. And we see next in verses 14 through 16, our shepherd has a personal relationship with all his sheep. A personal relationship. He personally knows each and every one of his sheep and even those who are going to become his sheep. He he has a, a relationship that is deep. It is intimate. It is personal. It is broad. It is lasting. It is eternal. And he has this kind of relationship with all of his sheep, past, present, and future. Verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, he says it again. I am the good shepherd. And this is what he says. And I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I know my own, and my own know me in the same way that I know the Father, and the Father knows me. He repeats, I am the good shepherd. I see three ideas in, 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 in here. One is this, there's this mutual, mutual knowledge, this intimate knowledge, this, as the, the old theologians would say, ex, experimental knowledge, which means experiential, something that you, you actually enter into and you experience. He says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands, right? 
If you are saved, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those who belong to him know that they belong to him. He has given us the spirit as a witness to our spirit that we belong to him. And there is a sense that he knows us. And if he knows us, then we will know him. It's not a one-way street. Yeah, God knows me or I know him. But he doesn't really recognize me because I'm just one of his many. No, it is a mutual, intimate, deep, familial knowledge. It is personal in every way. The other idea I see here is ownership. He says, I know my own and my own know me. How did we become his own? He bought us. He purchased us with a price. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your mortal flesh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. We are his own and he is ours. He belongs to us as well, this mutuality. But we also see an eternal spiritual connection. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, so do I know my sheep and my sheep know me. This is all to illustrate the union between the Father and the Son that we have when we place our faith in Christ. We are baptized into Christ. We become one with Christ as he was one with the Father. He knows the sheep. His sheep know him. In the same way that the Father knows the Son, the Son knows the Father. And Jesus describes the kind of mutual knowledge and relationship that the sheep and the shepherd have with one another. It's like that of the Father and the Son. Before the world was, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They were together, the triune God. They were together in mutual love, mutual relationship, mutual authority. It was eternal, and it is eternal, and that is the kind of relationship that we inherit. Profound statement, he says to us. Jesus knows exactly who are his sheep. Our first church was Valley Bible Church in uh, Arco, Idaho. And it's at the southern end of the, the Lost River Range in south, central Idaho. And in that area, about out on the desert and sometimes up in the mountains, you'd see Basque sheep um, cabins. They're really cabins on wheels. Never saw the shepherds. They were all, you know where they were? They were all with their sheep. But if you were to ask a, a sheep herder anywhere... Strike up a conversation. So tell me, how many sheep do you have? Do you think he would say, I don't know. No. He he might say, well, I have 327. Last week I had 330. Two of them were killed by predators, and one of them I've lost. I don't expect to find her. So I have 327. They would know exactly. Why? Because they're a shepherd. Because they are the owners of the sheep. Because they belong to them. Because they care about them. We who are shepherds at Valley Bible Church, we need to know how many people are in the fold. One of the things that we've been talking about the last few years is is church membership. Do we need to have an an official church membership? The Bible doesn't mandate it anywhere. It allows for it. Um, You know, people in this room, most of you have a Netflix membership. You've got an Amazon Prime membership. You've got a gym membership, church membership. No, that's a bridge too far, church membership. That's gone too far. Before the pandemic, we were approaching 500 people on Sunday mornings. We're scattered. Sheep have been scattered. We have a database with over 3,000 people in it. Who of those people are part of Valley Bible Church? I have no idea. If someone were to ask me, the shepherd, how many people do you have? I would say, I don't know. Somewhere between 325 and 550? Is Is that good stewardship? Probably not. So that's something we're, we're thinking about. I want you to pray about that for us because we need to know who belongs to us? Who has God given to us? Who are we responsible for? When, when I stand before God and, and he says, oh, here are your sheep, I want to know that I knew who they were and I want to say that I knew them and they know me. And all of us shepherds, all of us elders want to say the same thing. But right now we don't. 
We have attendees. Life groups are probably the core, and people who are part of life groups, uh, um, that is a, a good indication probably of what our membership is. But we're thinking about making that uh, more official because we may be scattered more. And our religious liberties, I think, are going to be threatened more on many, many levels. I think there a time will come where we lose our tax-exempt status and many other things are going to, to challenge our religious liberties and we need to enfold the sheep. Those of you who are home live streaming, maybe we haven't seen you in many, many months, and we may feel like, and you may feel like, we've lost touch. That has not been our intention. But we want to minister to you. We have a responsibility to let us know if you're still there. There's no way of us knowing where you are at, but don't let, don't wander, don't, don't be scattered by the enemy. Um, reach out and be part of this church. So Jesus not only knows who are his, but he also knows those who are going to come to him. He says in verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. It is a divine necessity. And they will hear my voice. I'm going to call out to them. I'm going to go look for them. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. Who is he talking about? He's talking about not only those who are going to come in the future to believe in him, but he's talking about Gentiles. Uh, the LDS church, the LDS theologies, their interpretation of this is these are people in the Americas that uh, the resurrected Christ during the 40 days before he ascended, he appeared to uh, people in South America and thus the Book of Mormon and all that. That's not what this is saying. Jew and Gentile will come together. He's talking about a Messiah for all people. He is the Savior of the world. He will redeem from the world people of every tribe and nation and people and tongue, not just Jews. To the Jew first, yes, but also to the Greek. Jesus is saying there are two folds, and he's going to bring them all together to, to be one flock. First uh, Peter 2.25 says this, You were, and he's talking to, Jew, uh, to uh, uh, Gentile believers, You were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. You see how common this shepherd analogy is. And he brings us all together. And our lesson is this. Our relationship with the good shepherd is to be deep, and personal, and spiritual, and eternal. Just like with the father our relationship with the Good Shepherd is to be that way. Our relationship with Jesus is more than cursory. It is more than ordinary. It is more than institutional. Name on a roll in church membership. I got that. But it is elevated to the same plane as Jesus' relationship with his Father. As the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father, so I know my sheep and my sheep know me. That is your calling. That is the relationship that God calls you to. Cultivate it. Do not take that relationship for granted. It is deep and it is an honor to be called one of his children. So our shepherd protects his beloved sheep. Our shepherd has a personal relationship with all of his sheep. And third, we see in verses 17 through 21, our shepherd lovingly, redeems his sheep. He does this sacrificially and voluntarily. He lays down his life for all of his sheep. This is something that he does for us. Verses 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. The purpose of laying down his life was to take it up again. It wasn't just to lay it down. The gospel is not just Christ died for your sins. The gospel is Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. There's no, there is no salvation. There is no forgiveness without the resurrection. I lay it down for the purpose of bringing it up again. By the way, the parable is ended at this point. 
He is speaking plainly now. He is not speaking in, uh, as, as a shepherd. He's saying me, Jesus, and my Father. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life and I take it up again. And he says, no one has taken it away from me. No one killed Jesus against his will. So when he stands before Pilate and, and he says, Pilate, you have no authority except what has been given to you from heaven. He voluntarily, sacrificially, lovingly laid down his life. And he says, I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This is the commandment I received from my father. The commandment before the foundation of the world, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're going to create this world in second person of the Trinity, Son, you are going to take on human flesh and under commandment and responsibility given to you and authority, you will lay down your life and you will take it up again and no one has the authority but yourself. I delegate that authority to you. And Jesus, because of his loving relationship with his father, he obeys that command of his own initiative. He has said this over and over, time, over again. I do nothing of my own initiative. This is the first time, he says, of my own initiative. But you see, it's delegated. He's doing it not out of compulsion, not because he feels forced to, but he does it voluntarily, willingly, sacrificially, lovingly. Now, the father doesn't just love him because he's obedient, but like any father... When you tell your son or your daughter to do something and they obey you out of love, man, you love them. That love was brought out. That's what he means. He's on a mission and he will fulfill the mission. It was the divine mission from before the foundation of the world. And he will do what his father tells him to do. Two lessons. Our redemption is motivated by love. Our redemption is motivated by God's love for us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies and shaking our fists in his face, he died for us. That's love. That's love. Our redemption is a divine plan, and it is completed through the faithful and selfless obedience of our good shepherd who lays down his life. Second, the obedience of the Son and the love of the Father are the models for our love and obedience. As we see the Father and the Son working together, and the, and, and the Father tells the Son, this is your mission, and the, and the, and the Son says, I love you, Father, and I will do as you've said. That is the model for us. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments, in the same way that the Son had a commandment from the Father, and keeps them, in the same way that the Son kept the commandment, is the one who loves me in the way that the, the Son loved the Father. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father in the same way that the Father loves the Son, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. All that to say, do you love him? Then do you obey him? Do you follow him? Because of all that he's done for you. That's our model. That's whom we follow. Our passage ends in verses 19 through 21 with a division as, as, as in the audience 19 and through 21 says the division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, well, these are not the sayings of a demon possessed. One demon possessed, a demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? The expected answer is no. But think about this. When someone says, you are evil incarnate and you are crazy and mean it, not a figure of speech like, oh, you're crazy. No, you are crazy. And you're evil. Can you say anything more insulting to someone? Probably not. Shows the sharpness of the division. But others are thinking, they're pondering, uh, I don't know. 
Can a demon-possessed man open the eyes of a blind man? Notice something. The, the, the miracle of healing this man has residual effects, and it continues. And in the rest of the, in the, later in the chapter, it's going to come up again. This had a profound effect upon the people, and it was beginning to divide them. Notice it says, there was a, a division again between the people. Every time Jesus speaks, people are divided. Today, too, families, world, nations, whatever. We fall on one side or the other. But the, the healing of this man will, uh, has a resounding effects, and it will only be replaced by the healing of Lazarus coming up, and then it's over the top. We've got to kill this man. It's the last miracle that just pushes the leaders over the edge. Some final thoughts. Sheep have responsibilities too. Shepherds have responsibilities, but sheep do as well. To follow true shepherds, there are lots of false teaching out on the internet. Be careful. On TV, especially on TV, watch out. A lot of people out there telling a lot of things that are wrong, a lot of false theology. Sheep have a responsibility to be discerning and to test the spirits and to test the teachers to follow true shepherds, and to follow with love and joy in the same way that Jesus submitted to the Father. God calls his sheep to follow the under shepherds in the same way that Jesus submitted to his Father. In fact, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. The language of shepherding, as those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with grief. This would be unprofitable for you. One day we shepherds will be evaluated on how we have led you. Please do so. Follow as we follow the Lord with joy and with gladness as God leads us. You know, I've been to many pastors' gatherings, uh, retreats and conferences, and oftentimes, not oftentimes, always, there's always a group of, of pastors that are grousing about their congregations and complaining about the sheep and and, you know, they don't appreciate me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe I've been guilty of that in the past. Not with this congregation. Because I want to say to you, I mean that. I want to say to you, people ask me about Valley Bible Church, and I say, our church is so healthy. I love my people. And I know that a lot of, par- a lot of pastors don't say that about their congregation. We shepherds love you because you are good sheep. I commend, I commend you. To our shepherds, to our elders, to those of you who want to become elders or go into pastoral ministry or anybody who's watching who desires that, you must love the good shepherd first if you are to love and lead his sheep. You cannot love and lead God's sheep without loving the good shepherd above all else, and you must do that. And to the sheep, once again, you must love the good shepherd first if you are to love and follow the under-shepherds. See, we're all responsible to do the same thing. We must love the good shepherd first. And those who lead are to lead, and those who follow are to follow. But the good shepherd must be loved above all. And we seek to do that. There are two errors, by the way, um, for those of you who look at us as pastors. One is to put us on a pedestal. That we never sin, or that God answers only our prayers, or that we live at the church, or all sorts of silly things that people have about us. Don't put us on a pedestal because we'll fall off. The other error is to fail to honor the shepherds. And I don't say this in any way to to, to put myself out there. I'm just telling you, and anyone who might be in another church, who is not honoring their shepherds, 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So don't take for granted your shepherds and don't put them on a a pedestal. Um, We need to honor. The final thing is this. Jesus is the shepherd king. Shepherd, king. David was a shepherd. 
We get this idea of, uh, you've seen the picture of Jesus holding, you know, cuddling a little lamb. Get that out of your mind. David sets the standard. He was fearless, courageous. He stood his ground. Nothing could stand in the way of the safety of his sheep. You know the story. He, he fought a bear with his bare hands. He fought a lion, grabbed it by the beard, punched it in the face or whatever. Why? For his sheep. He put his life at risk. He was a warrior. Jesus is a warrior. He's not just this gentle man who cuddles sheep. He is the, the sovereign shepherd king. He is powerful and he is sovereign and we worship him as yes, a gentle and loving Savior, but he is also a shepherd king. Interestingly, the scriptures tell us, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I thought it was a shepherd. The shepherd becomes one of us. The shepherd leaves his throne. The shepherd comes down to earth and he, he walks where we walk. He is tempted as we are tempted to die for us. And thus, we remember in communion. And I invite you to take out your bread and your cup. When... John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was recognizing the fact that Jesus took on human flesh, and that's what the bread represents to us. He came from heaven, he lived, and he died. And the cup represents that the, the Lamb of God was slain as a sacrifice on our behalf. He laid his life down on behalf of, in place of the sheep. He was the substitute sacrifice for us. He died so that we do not have to. It was a great exchange. His life for your life. His death that you might live. And that's what we proclaim in the, in the Lord's Supper this morning. Father, we thank you for the Lamb of God, the bread of God the one who came down from heaven to live and to die for us. As we partake together, you have made us one bread, one body, one family, one flock with one shepherd. We declare that this morning. We do so with great joy and pray that you would be overjoyed and pleased with your children, with your sheep, that we love you above all else and that we follow you together. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And he said, do this in remembrance of me.